Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Money Smart Pod. I'm Colin Hogan. And I'm Sean McMahon. Today, we're really excited to talk to Dan Scarborough, President and Chief Operating Officer of Incubex. Dan's going to share with us some insight on how things are going in the voluntary carbon markets and the role Incubex is playing in that sector. Before we get to our talk with Dan, be sure you check out the episodes we released last week from the International Futures Industry Conference. We think those will provide a great way for you to catch up on all the hot topics from this year's FIA Boca. We actually bumped into Dan and the Incubex team at the event. It was great to see him, and we think you'll enjoy this conversation. So let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Modern Money Smart Pod. I'm your host, Sean McMahon, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin Hogan. Our guest today is Dan Scarborough, the president and COO of Incubex. Dan, how are you doing today? Uh, doing great. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sean. Appreciate you having me uh, on board today. Great. We're looking forward to having an exciting conversation about voluntary carbon markets. But before we get into that, just spend a minute or two letting our audience know about who you are and what your team does at Incubex. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, thanks thanks again for the uh, the invite to participate. I've been in the environmental markets uh, myself now in just over 15 years. Uh, started at a company called Chicago Climate Exchange, uh, working with Dr. Richard Sandor and Dr. Michael Walsh, uh, were the co-founders there, going back to the early 2000s. And uh, many of our team comes from climate exchange and uh, many other leading brokerage uh, houses and exchanges in the industry over time. Climate Exchange was acquired by Intercontinental Exchange ICE in 2010, and I went over to ICE and worked there from 2010 to 2014. Uh, we formed Incubex in 2016, really as a, a specialist environmental product developer in the exchange space. Alrighty, so a lot of our listeners know that we've done a lot of episodes about sustainable finance and topics of that nature. So let's dive into the voluntary carbon markets. What are the basics of these markets and how do they function? Yeah, absolutely. And Chicago Climate Exchange uh, started as a voluntary carbon market around 2000 and uh, ultimately grew to over 450 members, 20 of the largest utility companies in the US, IBM, Motorola, International Paper. And really at the time in early 2000s, uh, there were no compliance markets for carbon uh, at that time. So everything was voluntary. And you know, since that time, we've had the European Union emission trading program go live in 2005. Uh, we've had the California cap and trade program as a compliance market in North America, along with the regional greenhouse gas initiative in North America as well. Uh, so really, you have compliance markets that have spread in geography about 10%, just to use a rough number of global emissions are covered under compliance markets. And voluntary markets have really, um, you know, as I said, been around about 20 years uh, or more in some cases. But generally speaking, these are privately financed developed projects uh, that reduce or mitigate greenhouse gas emissions of some variety, some kind of technology, uh, some are nature-based. And so there's really a wide array of these projects that are issued and tracked by major registries. And right now there are about four uh, leading registries, but many others out there. Okay, Dan, real quick. Can you give our listeners just the basics on the difference between compliance markets and voluntary markets? So generally speaking, a compliance market is going to be set by a government or government agency. And so in the case of the U.S., that could be the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency that would implement a market-based mechanism to address a specific environmental issue. Could be the state of California through something like AB 32, where you had cap and trade program 
and many other accompanying environmental programs that went live dating back to 2006. And so these are really state, uh, federal, government, and in some cases, international linkages that are created to create these market-based mechanisms to address an environmental issue, in this case, greenhouse gas emissions. So the compliance market is generally set by a government or government agency. A voluntary market, generally speaking, these are private finance projects. These are run by third parties, in many cases, nonprofit registry providers that are issuing these projects, setting methodologies, setting protocols that uh, govern the creation of these uh, voluntary offset credits. And so Dan, what's participation like in the voluntary carbon markets right now? What kinds of entities are you seeing the most get involved with that? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, as I mentioned, the the compliance markets, you know, there are some stats that were put out recently, I think even by ICE, that about a trillion dollars uh, notional traded in compliance markets last year in 2021. In the same year, Ecosystems Marketplace, which is really a, a leading uh, kind of trade reporting and, and advisory uh, service in the market, has indicated that voluntary carbon transactions were about a billion dollars in notional in 2021. So there's still a very wide gap between transactions and compliance markets and, and voluntary markets. That being said, you know the participation in the markets uh, consists of project developers, banks, hedge funds, physical energy trading companies, utilities, oil and gas uh, majors, uh, really a broad mix of in other industrials as well. Brokers play a key role, the intermediaries, your, your ICAPs, Evolution Markets, uh, BGC, those kind of firms that intermediate trades uh, in the market as well. And so, you know, you really do see a very wide range of participation. And, you know, based on the private net zero commitments, we would expect that that billion dollar of transaction value in 2021 would would be looking to grow over the next, you know, five to 10 years. And speaking of that growth, last November in and around COP26, we heard a lot of talk about carbon markets, right? Voluntary carbon markets, compliance markets, and things like that. So tell us why these markets are so important to the future of sustainable finance. Well, you know, it's it's a very interesting dynamic from the standpoint that we do expect many more compliance markets to come online and new geographies, new industries to be covered by compliance markets. But just let alone, <clears throat> or just by the sheer number of companies that privately are taking net zero commitments, uh, 24-7 renewable commitments, uh, really just a, a very, very increased focus on sustainability generally for those markets and and kind of those commitments to be met, we're going to need to see uh, the voluntary carbon markets in particular and and the voluntary rec markets and other voluntary environmental commodities uh, grow significantly. And that scale in the voluntary markets is underway as we speak. Uh, Some of that is, is really predicated on how these credits are tracked. In many cases, Compliance markets and voluntary markets are not mutually exclusive as well, where you have compliance instruments and in, in some you know, states or geographies, RECs, carbon certificates that are also purchased for voluntary sustainability commitments. So with compliance markets, we know that there are several of these across different jurisdictions. Are there any that you think do it better than others? What's an example of a jurisdiction that set up compliance markets well? Well, the, the longest standing environmental program uh, really is the acid rain program uh, going back to the mid-90s for the reduction of SO2 emissions. And that really was uh, the poster child in many ways for 
cap and trade programs and compliance markets uh, that really set a cap on emissions and a, a market-based mechanism to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the European Union emission trading program is by far and away the longest standing going back to 2005, covers the largest footprint of emissions, about 1.6 billion tons of CO2 are covered currently under the EU emission trading program. Uh, just to put that in perspective, the California cap and trade program is about 500 million tons that are covered, and that's the second largest. So, you know, the EU ETS is the longest standing uh, market on the compliance side. You've got two regional programs in North America and California, and the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, REGI, uh, as many in the market would refer, refer to it as. You have uh, cap and trade programs in New Zealand, South Korea, a number of uh, developing markets around the world, but uh, by far and away, the EU ETS is the largest at the moment. And so in terms of accomplishments and, and what the world gets out of these, I mean, what do you think these markets are doing a good job of accomplishing right now? Well, generally speaking, I would say that environmental markets and market-based mechanisms are good at attracting investment capital uh, to the market that allow for the increased uh, project, you know, sort of innovation in the space, new technologies, uh, new projects that are going to be greenhouse gas reducing or capturing uh, in some way. And we're really seeing that innovation before our eyes uh, at the moment with things like carbon sequestration and other technologies that are evolving uh, on a rapid scale. And these market-based mechanisms, generally speaking, as well, uh, have had a very strong track record of success in addressing these environmental issues at the lowest cost and you know penalties in many ways. If you look at a taxation structure versus incentives that you have in these market-based mechanisms of putting a finite cap on emissions, uh, you actually have uh, you have that certainty. You have the certainty that the emissions will not exceed the cap, and so that it's a slightly different way of looking at things. If you look at a tax versus a market-based mechanism. And really, those are more incentive-based, you know, market-based mechanisms that bring in new participants, new capital uh, to the markets, which is really critical to to scale uh, and really to achieve the environmental objectives and accelerate those objectives. So, as someone who's who's worked so long in carbon markets, what do you think could be improved about them and how they currently function? So, from our perspective, you have to really take a look at the infrastructure that surrounds the markets. And that goes all the way down to how are credits created? How are they tracked? Uh, what is the verification uh, methodology in the case of an offset? Really then go to, okay, what is the trading infrastructure? What is the market infrastructure? And do you have best in class infrastructure that's available generally to the financial markets and the broader commodity markets? Do you have that infrastructure in the environmental markets and in the voluntary offset markets? And I think the answer to many of those questions are, are no, that that infrastructure is not there uh, at this point for the proper scale. Uh, there are many private initiatives uh, underway to do that, many, many government initiatives to create a more credible way to track these credits, you know, deal with things like invalidation risk, some of the inherent risks that you have in dealing with, uh, you know, voluntary offsets. And so, you know, really, I think the infrastructure all the way down to the tracking of certificates, how they're traded, uh, the regulatory structure, the oversight of the markets, uh, you know, having uh, government oversight uh, and regulator oversight in the case of, you know, like the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and CFTC when these become futures contracts, as opposed to OTC markets that have 
no regulatory uh, oversight or very little regulatory oversight. Um, really a multi-pronged situation with respect to what it's going to take to properly scale these markets. Uh, but, but most of it, in our view, kind of relates to the market infrastructure that is available. What are some of the other pain points or things that need to be fixed? You know, I was doing some reading in advance of this show, and I, I saw a few stories about how you know, the rights of some of the local people, right? You got these you know, carbon credits that's, uh, say, a forest in some faraway country. Local indigenous people there, you know, they have rights to that land. And you know, so there's questions being raised about whether they're being taken care of, be it financially or just being you know, physically protected. Are there any kind of safeguards in place for that? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you go back even to the Chicago Climate Exchange days, we had many offset protocols that were developed under that program. And it was a member-based you know, approach where we were a private market, private company that was operating the CCX market. And in many ways, uh, you know, relying upon things like an offsets committee, a trading committee, and a member-based approach to trying to develop these protocols. And you know, over the course of the last 20 years, many of these protocols have been refined greatly uh, from where they started. And you know, I think having the right arm's length relationships and the right independence, oversight, verification are key. And I think the registries have done a nice job of that and setting up, you know, really protocols that have been, you know, publicly vetted, uh, vetted by project developers, vetted by market participants over the years and a continuous improvement, you know, kind of cycle. And it depends on which project you look at, the risk profile is going to be very different. And so, you know, there's always inherent risk in dealing with offsets, you know, putting the right tools in the hands of participants to really evaluate what those risks are. And if you look at an ag, you know, an ag methane uh, digester or capture project uh, at a dairy farm versus a forestry project, the risk profile is going to be very different. But these credits are issued uh, in the registries really on a carbon, you know, CO two equivalent basis. And so, whether you have a one ton uh, certificate for a forestry project or a one ton carbon equivalent for an ag methane project that's still one ton of emissions that uh, you're getting a certificate for. So, you know, allowing participants to take a look at the registry standards, the protocols, uh, the geography, the verification documents of the project, you know, all the different factors that go into uh, making these investments in carbon offsets. And, and not only investments, if you're buying carbon offsets to meet a sustainability commitment as a corporate there's inherent risk as well, reputational risk. Uh, you need to really take a look at what you're buying. And there are many people, I think, out there in the market that you know the interest level in voluntary offsets is at an all-time high. I mean, I don't think there's any disputing that. We had a hard time, I think, getting people to pick up the phone and even answer our phone call at, at Chicago Climate Exchange 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and now there are many incoming phone calls. But with that being said, you know the, there are many attempts to make a complex issue, very simple. And that is just not the current reality of, of the voluntary carbon market, in our opinion. So what kinds of things are you and the team at Incubex working on to perhaps enhance these markets? As I said, you know, kind of generally, our focus has been really on innovating new products, uh, developing new solutions for the environmental market specifically. And so we've launched a number of futures contracts with our partners at EEX Group, and nodal exchange in the U.S. These are regulated futures contracts, you know, which are now the broadest set of environmental contracts on on any exchange, and a really nice achievement, not only for the Incubex team but also for our partners at EEX Group. 
and notable exchange. Uh, these are carbon uh, allowance contracts. These are re renewable energy certificates. These are renewable fuels contracts. Uh, in the case of the federal uh, renewable fuel standards and the REN markets uh, in North America. And all these markets have their own unique challenges, all the way down to the infrastructure of how they're tracked, uh, to how they're traded. Um, but generally speaking, we've had kind of a mission that, and sort of a, a, a viewpoint that the only way to really see these environmental markets scale and attract the right participation, bring in the flow of investment capital is to have the right infrastructure in place. And so we play a role in trying to accelerate, you know, the, the development of these products and each market has its own solution. So we've rolled out many of these uh, futures contracts in the case of Rex, uh, in the case of Carbon. Uh, and then we're also working on an initiative called the Voluntary Climate Marketplace that will be a platform for trading uh, specifically of voluntary offsets in a very bespoke, more over-the-counter fashion. So how is that platform going to function? the Voluntary Climate Marketplace? So we entered into a partnership uh, with Trayport to develop this Voluntary Climate Marketplace. And uh, Trayport, uh, we've known for many years going back to you know, the days uh, at Climate Exchange and ICE, and, and Trayport has always been one of the leading ISV providers or one of the front-end providers, a broker trading platform as well, uh, that really is a great aggregator of markets across exchanges, across brokerages, and really that aggregation and being one of the leading energy trading platforms globally with you know over 6,000 traders on the Tradeport platform really gives a, a really unique distribution you know, to the broader energy markets. And so we work with Tradeport to develop this voluntary climate marketplace, uh, which we thought uh, you know, mutually between us and Tradeport that we had a good team of product developers on the Incubex side, a good you know, domain expertise in the environmental markets. And they had a great piece of technology and a great distribution in the energy market. So we've really developed the voluntary climate marketplace to be a platform for the matching of offsets and other bespoke environmental attributes, uh, really in a transparent, you know, marketplace, a level playing field, a very market neutral platform and open access to those that want to participate in the marketplace. And, and as I said, from a distribution perspective, from day one, really made available to that universe of, of 6,000 energy traders they have on that platform already. So say I'm a corporate or a bank or someone like that who's looking to buy credits. What does that interface look like for me when I go into that marketplace? What's the look and feel of it? Yeah. So you, you, know, you would, uh, as a corporate, you could join the voluntary climate marketplace. Uh, you'd get access to the trading platform. Uh, you could there there's several different paths that you can use to come to the market. You could go to a broker that you have an existing relationship with. Uh, you could come directly onto the platform and place a bid for the specific type of offsets that you're looking for. Project developers on the flip side of it uh, as well can be offering their projects on the platform. And you get really into a very granular level of, okay, what are all the underlying attributes of this project? What registry does it come from? What vintage is it, you know, and, and what year was the offset created or issued? What type of offset is it? What kind of technology? Uh, is it a renewable energy project? Is it a nature-based solution? And really, there's such a broad range of credits out there. Uh, but one of the keys to the platform is allowing buyers and sellers of offsets to express those preferences they have and really to evaluate exactly what the offsets are that they're buying. 
So when is this marketplace going to be up and running or is it still in development? So we're, we're actually going live on uh, the 25th of March. So it's coming up here pretty soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So coming up right around the corner here. So Dan, one thing we like to ask all of our guests here is uh, if they have any bold predictions uh, for the future. So I wanted to see where you think the size of this market will be in, a, say, five or 10 years. Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think we're, we're better students of where things have come from and kind of market history than we are predictors of a uh, future. But I'll try to uh, try to dust off the uh, crystal ball a bit here um, <laughs> give you a couple of observations anyways, maybe some predictions. But you know, where we've come from, looking at open interest as, as one proxy, just at the regulated futures markets and environmental commodities generally, we see record highs in open interest uh, of over 3 million contracts across exchanges in carbon markets, renewable energy certificates, renewable fuels, things of that nature. Of that uh, over 3 million, less than 50,000 of those contracts are voluntary in nature or primarily voluntary driven, either voluntary offsets, or in the case of uh, nodal exchange and our partners there, you've got about 30,000 contracts of open interest in Texas CRS or Greeny eligible uh, RECs that are primarily voluntary in, in nature. And two years ago, that was zero. Uh, so there was zero open interest really in primarily voluntary instruments. You know, I think the trajectory is is headed in the right direction. We're seeing a influx of participants, unlike we've ever seen in environmental markets. I think actually ICE commissioned a study not too long ago that pointed to, I think, over 800 participants now in the uh, European carbon market. If you look at commitment of trader reports to CFTC in the CCA market for California carbon, you've got well over 100 participants now in California carbon. You're starting to see, you know, things like voluntary recs uh, on nodal exchange show up on commitment of trader reports now. You know, very promising developments that really show the breadth and kind of the scope of participation in the markets is is really growing. Anything else we need to look forward to concerning these markets? It sounds like there's a lot of runway for growth, but is there anything in particular you have your eye on? Yeah, I, I think really a, a big a big key here is really awareness of these markets and and the fact that. Really, uh, many of the audiences you go to, whether it's you know something like the FIA, uh, they're trying to really broaden awareness about environmental markets and sustainability, ESG more broadly, kind of as a topic. Um, but you know, I think the awareness uh, for these markets and advocacy, or you know, sort of the approach of market-based solutions uh, to address these environmental issues, any forum that we can kind of get on to you know, help spread the word on that and uh, build the community of participation. Um, I think that's really the key for these markets to continue to uh, develop. All righty. Well, hopefully our show will kind of help raise that awareness. Absolutely. And we really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to participate here and, and speak with you guys today. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Stan. Thanks a lot. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Modern Money Pod. And if you'd like a daily dose of Modern Money news delivered to your inbox, head on over to SmartBrief.com and sign up for the Modern Money Smart Brief. The Modern Money Smart Pod is a production of SmartBrief, a future company.